Educating about Bitcoin is not about learning the hard skill or soft skill. It's more about changing the belief system. Because mm -hmm. Bitcoin is so big and so philosophical and deep once you get into it. It's really yeah. changing how we are thought about money, how we were, what we thought about money, what we believed about money. And that's the hardest one, like changing belief system. It's like, that's the toughest one. So yeah. we as Bitcoin educators, we need to be even more careful about communication and be very recipient, be very patient. And this is actually what we in MTH uh, want to teach, train the trainers or educate the educators academies uh, to, to have better Bitcoin educators and more of them around the world so they can become the lighthouses of, of, of hope for their local communities. Hello guys, welcome once again to Bitcoiner podcast. Uh, today it's a really good episode. Uh, actually, I'm going to interview a neighbor from El Salvador. <laughs> he is right now doing a good project uh, called AmityH. So by that name, you probably know who I'm talking about. So uh, without further ado, I just want to welcome to do something. So welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Hello, hello, Juan. Good to good to be here. Big <laughs> yeah, finally, it's so good to, to meet you. Uh, how's the weather in Honduras? I see that it's super sunny, man. <laughs> yeah, right now it's beautiful, but it yesterday was almost like a crazy storm. Things flying around, big winds, rain everywhere. So it's changing all the time. Right now it's a rainy season here in Roatan, so mm -hmm. uh, it's it's very very changing every day. So we're looking forward for a good season starting from January, February, later on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know it's a wild weather uh, right now here yeah. in Europe. Well, I'm a bit cold, so, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I kind of envy you. I see, I'm I know... a jacket. Yeah, <laughs> but it's fine. So yeah, is this is just winter? So it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I'm coming back to Slovakia um, in like seven, eight days. And oh, uh, when shoot. I go with, yeah, when I go with my girlfriend, uh, she's like with a hat, you know, with a jacket. I'm like, damn, I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> yeah, here absolutely. I'm just having flip flops and and beach shorts, and that's it. That's that's what you need here. Yeah, sometimes when I well, I almost call my parents every single day, and sometimes it's raining, but. They are in shorts and I'm like, are you not calling? They are, no, it's just raining, but the, the weather is super fine. I was like, what? Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot say that here because exactly. in, the, in, in the first second that it starts to rain, you feel cold because the the temperature yeah, drops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that feeling, brother. I know that feeling. Coming back to Europe and uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have a girlfriend there. You know, I need to, I need to bring her here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, in the end, it's the most wonderful time of the year. So, I, at, at least oh, for me, I love course. winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, I like the Lord like as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, no, I was going to tell you that. Uh, so, as as usual on the podcast, uh, could you please introduce yourself for the people that don't know you and tell your story about your upbringing? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm Dusan. I'm a Bitcoin educator from Slovakia. I was I'm, I have been doing Bitcoin education for about six, seven years right now. So um, my background is is in teaching. 
I was a math, mm -hmm. physics, and English tutor for some years. I was teaching kids from six years old all the way to university students. Um, and and that's, that was when I fell in love with education and seeing this kind of changing the approach to education for a kid and, and kids going from the worst grades in math all the way to the best ones. For me, that was like a big game change, how the kids uh, regained confidence in themselves, how parents started to treat the, their kids better. They saw like, wow, my kid is doing great. So that's when I really fell in love with education. And when I uh, went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and started exploring that, I was like, okay, this is what I want to teach. We lack financial literacy or monetary literacy in the world. And this is where I can help and where I have the passion. So I was doing a lot of podcasts, webinars, workshops, uh, translated some books about Bitcoin into Slovak language. Um, I was training teachers how to teach Bitcoin in schools as well. And um, and then we wanted to scale it up uh, because I was kind of one-man show doing consultancies. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, this is not very scalable because I was doing consultations seven days, uh, seven hours a day. And I was like getting burned out to kind of do the same thing all over. So I was yeah. like, okay, I need to scale it up. I want to educate 100 million people about Bitcoin. Why 100 million? Because I want to educate the same amount of people as there are Satoshis in one Bitcoin. That was kind of the, the idea behind it. Um, so I cannot do it myself. I want to scale it up. But the education is very hard to scale, very hard to finance. You depend on grants, you depend on donations. So we decided that we would like to self-sustain it ourselves and create a business that can sustain the education activities. And that's when we start to do Bitcoin mining. So three years ago, uh, we set up a first Bitcoin mining uh, container in Slovakia. We filled it up pretty quick with uh, machines of my clients. So we had, after a month of starting it up, we had maybe yes, 160 S19s at a time. So almost like one and a half million dollars uh, in investment there. Mm -hmm. Then we open up a new container, so we fill up that one. So we had two full containers of machines, and um, and then we we needed to move out from Europe because the prices went up, the war came in, so mm -hmm. we needed to figure out a place where we can continuously mine, and that's where we ended up in Paraguay, where we do mm -hmm. mining, hosting, um, next to the largest power plant. Uh, like third largest power plant in the world, Itaipu. All Paraguay is, is water-based, so uh, uh, the whole consumption, 100% of that is hydroelectricity. Mm -hmm. And the Paraguay is the largest electricity exporter in the world as well. And that's why it's a very good place to be doing Bitcoin mining. And that's where we, we set up. So right now we can scale the education activities. We set up Bitcoin Academy here in Honduras, on the Rotan Island where there's a Bitcoin jurisdiction, so we can talk about all of that. It's, uh, yeah. I don't want to kind of like ramp up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But... No, okay, okay. No, that, that, that's perfect, man. Uh, I didn't know about that that about Paraguay. Actually, I was wondering, well, yeah, why, why, why Paraguay? You know? But now, now I get it. It's interesting. Oh, yeah. It's it's like a mecca for miners. It's, it's a great place. It's the second safest country in Southern America after Uruguay. Um, Again, it's a huge electricity producer. They're selling 40% of electricity they produce to Brazil and Argentina. Mm. So uh, it's one of the best places. Cheap electricity, abundant electricity, green electricity. So it's uh, it's really, really good there. 
Okay, okay. And what what inspired you to take this path? And I mean, and how do you and how do you uh, how do you start your Bitcoin rabbit hole journey? <laughs> wow. So um, it was 2017 when I when I started, and uh, <clears throat> and it was yeah. So basically, um, one of my friends he wanted to uh, we wanted to to have a website for our company. I had a business before a construction company or we building outdoor workout parks and we want to have a website i met with him and he told me you know dusan right now i'm doing more bitcoin than websites i'm like peter what the heck like this <laughs> multi-level ponzi scheme got you as well like oh my god i was very skeptical mm-hmm. and first i heard about bitcoin 2015 but i didn't care and then 2017 i was like okay peter i trust you tell me about it like why are you in it like what's interested there And we were chatting about um, why or and how Bitcoin can help in countries where the money is failing, when the economy is, is falling apart. We didn't talk a lot about like, okay, let's make money on Bitcoin and you can trade and all of that stuff. That, that doesn't uh, interest me that much. But the, the economic and social aspect of Bitcoin was for me like a game-changing thing. And that's, that evening, I sat down and I was like five hours straight studying Bitcoin, anything I can find. I can find oh. I went to sleep like almost in the morning and uh, I told my my friends, my colleagues, like the next day I'm not going to work because I'm going to study Bitcoin. <laughs> They were like, what the heck? <laughs> so I took awesome. some time to really get in. And um, and no, I started to fall down that, the rabbit hole. And after a couple of months, I did my first, um, first uh, workshop on Bitcoin. And also what I was doing, like... I had uh, open consultations in a cafeteria where I was sitting every day from three to five. Anybody can come. We can talk about Bitcoin for free. And every time oh, they wow. gave me a question uh, that I didn't know, I was like, okay, man, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to research it and I'm going to answer it. So in this way, I learned much, much more about Bitcoin that I could, so that I can explain it better. So this helped me as well a lot in my education journey as well. That's so cool. That's amazing. Yeah, actually, this is this is a good strategy to to learn more, right? When you know don't know anything, you, you write it down and then you do your own research. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's amazing. Totally. And, totally. and I have a question. Now that you say that people come to talk to you uh, and just spend hours talking about Bitcoin, you know, holidays are coming, so you know the the dinner, the family dinners are coming as well. <laughs> so. <what am> I- <laughs> So one of my question is for any Bitcoiner that, you know, want to orange pill uh, family members or friends, uh, what advice do you, do you give to them or how do you start orange pill your, your family members? <laughs> well, initially I wanted to tell anybody, everybody about Bitcoin and wanted to kind of like shove it to everybody's throat. And <laughs> soon you realize like people are don't want to talk with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so my friend my friends start to be like oh man just stop that bitcoin shit so right now i'm more like uh like people can approach me if they want to of course or they book consultation with me but for like the family dinners um i was doing right now in el salvador and also in Lugano a workshop for bitcoin educators uh mm-hmm. that was called handling objections and this workshop is designed for people who want to educate bitcoin But there are maybe many, like they are very keen on like just argumenting like why Bitcoin is better, why it's amazing and so on. And they forgot to listen to the other party. 
So this, um, what I was teaching to educators, and this applies actually to, to, a, to things outside of Bitcoin as well. This applies to having relationships, um, family dinners, you know, it's basically a communication skill. So I was teaching yeah. people like argumentation shouldn't be the first response that we are, we are providing to another party. So imagine you start to talk about Bitcoin and people start to object and they're going to say, well, I don't think it's going to work. I think the government will stop it. I think it's only used by uh, criminals. Um, I think it's going to burn our planet or whatever, whatever yeah. um, argument. Many times the, the educators or any Bitcoiner responds like, oh, that's not true. And let me tell you why. And they start to shove the arguments. But if you think about it, when somebody's objecting, the person is basically speaking from like reptilian brain, from amygdala. They are afraid. They, you hit them with some information that contradicts their belief system. So mm -hmm. they start to tell you and they start to kind of protect themselves and their belief system with, with an argument, with an objection. And if you want to speak with, to them from your neocortex with logic and argument, it will not work because they are in emotion. They, some, something got them triggered. So what you need to do, firstly, you need to understand what's the fear behind their objection? What, how do they feel at that moment? If somebody is objecting to environmental problems, probably that person is very concerned with, uh, with planet Earth, you know, warming up or environment being destroyed. And he didn't have the data so far to understand that Bitcoin is not doing that. No. But if you start to shove the data, it will not work. So first of all, you need to um, accept the argument, the, the, the objection. And accept doesn't mean to agree with the argument. Accept means that just to acknowledge that the person is sane for saying that. Because maybe when you were learning about Bitcoin, maybe you had the same objection as well. So what you mm -hmm. can say, like the first step to really in communication is to clarify and understand the objection. So you can ask the person like, okay, so do you mean that um, Bitcoin will not work because uh, the government will stop it? Or do you mean Bitcoin will not work because people will not care about that? So first you need to clarify what the person is really saying and objecting to. Because otherwise you start to argument to something completely different mm -hmm. than the, what the person really wanted to say. So, and once you understand as the first steps, clarification and understanding of the objection, the second step is accepting it and maybe saying, well, I had it the same way when I was learning about Bitcoin. And this way you show the person like they're not stupid for saying that. They are, they are sane and they have some, some uh, fears in themselves. And many other people have the same thing because person objecting might be in a fear of like, I'm the only one stupid one that thinks that. And many people, many Bitcoiners make them look stupid like, oh man, you don't know what you're talking about and so on. So the person shuts down and they don't, they don't talk to you anymore. Like hearing objections is very positive because that means the person cares. The person cares about what you're saying and they are willing to go into discussion with you. And this way you know what the person is objecting to, where they stop, what they need to get said, clarified, and you can go through the objection with them and help them understand. So you kind of ease down the amygdala so that the neocortex can speak to the neocortex. And that's where the argument is only the third step in the whole process. That's so interesting. I, I never thought about it. And it's, it's so right. That, that, that's why you're a kid, man. <laughs> you know how the brain works. <laughs> you know how the brain works. Ah, that's... Yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's that, a good that's process. very important. And again, and this is something that applies to anything. It doesn't only apply to Bitcoin. It applies mm -hmm. to 
communication in relationships. Like I'm with my yeah. girlfriend for four years. We never had an argument, never in four years. Why? Because we really, once something starts to come up, we really talk to each other and listen to each other mm, without no, kind of, important. because many, many pairs, many couples I see just, you know, shouting their own arguments to each other, not listening to the other side. We try to clarify everything. We try to really understand what the person thinks and feels. And we somehow understand like, wow, like we're on the same page without going into like shouting and stuff. Because when people start to shout already, that's mostly, it's not aggression. It's mostly not being understood. It's mostly like frustration that build up of like that person is not listening to me. So I start to raise my voice. Maybe this, this louder volume will go through the barrier of understanding of the other person. That's how the arguments mostly come up. So uh, if you really take patience and, and, and again, it's not intuitive. You need to consciously think about it and consciously think what the other person thinks and clarify. But then there's no place for arguments. There's only place for discussion, understanding and, and regular talk without the need to raise a voice in, in most of the cases. Right? We have very, very open our relationship with my girlfriend. Uh, to talk about everything, but we never needed to have a, like a regular argument. How people imagine that? Yeah, that's 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 so true, and and I'm glad that that that, that it's so healthy. And actually, you're so right because you know I have a nephew, and uh, right now he's about to to be four years old. But he, when he, he was younger, <laughs> like if he's older, <laughs> but when he was younger, and you know there there's um the first three years is really it's. It, I heard that it was like super complicated for them because they they cannot speak, so it's really difficult to them to actually let know the the adult person what exactly they want. So and and I and I heard that also that that behavior that kids usually start screaming or or yelling or what or whatever, but just because they are not they are misunderstood, and uh, the parents they feel that the parents don't get exactly the message. Something that's super simple. Uh, I want water, but they cannot. They cannot say like I'm. I'm. I'm thirsty. You know. So and and I, I learn about about those things thanks to my nephew and how to exactly communicate with them. And little by little, by the months uh, has passed. Uh, he of course can speak uh, better, but in in those uh, previous years, we're like, okay, what is that he wants? So yeah, you have to be like very careful and and to make them understand that you're listening, that you're trying to understand uh, what they want, right? So it, it's super mm-hmm. it's super interesting how the brain, how the, the human behavior works, right? It's it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally agree. So that's a, that's a very important part of any education or Bitcoin education as well, because educating about Bitcoin is not about learning the hard skill or soft skill. It's more about changing the belief system. Because mm-hmm. Bitcoin is so big and so philosophical and deep once you get into it. It's really yeah. changing how we are thought about money, how we were, what we thought about money, what we believed about money. And that's the hardest one, like changing belief system. It's like, that's the toughest one. So yeah. we as Bitcoin educators, we need to be even more careful about communication and be very recipient, be very patient. And this is actually what we in MTH uh, want to teach train the trainers or educate the educators academies uh, to, to have better Bitcoin educators and more of them around the world so they can become the lighthouses of, of 
of hope for their local communities. How do you came with with the idea with MITH and well, let's talk about that. And uh, what kind of educational initiatives do you have and activities are uh, you know mm -hmm. undertaken over there? And tell us so what is right MIT now, also. <laughs> yeah, uh, so let's start with, uh, with with a name for it. Okay. So why MITH? Why this weird name that doesn't resemble Bitcoin at all? <laughs> and we wanted initially wanted to have a company that uh, because in a lot of conferences wherever you go you see this bit something coin something all the companies have bit coin or block in it so it's yeah. like you don't even remember so we wanted something like an apple because if somebody tells you apple and you don't know what they're doing you have no idea that they're doing computers right it's so random yeah so that was also one idea and when we were speaking with my business partner gabriel what really bitcoin means to us uh we came into a conclusion that we see Bitcoin as a technology that can really bring people together on a global scale. If we have a sound money on a global level, people can cooperate better, people can communicate better, there can be more harmony, because if governments doesn't have power over money, they can go to war just, you know, printing money. Yeah. So we have more peace, more harmony, more friendship, more fellowship around the world. That's what Bitcoin can bring, ultimately. And entity in English, it's a very archaic word, not used today very much. That means friendship, fellowship, harmony, and peace. It comes from Latin. Mm -hmm. And we see Bitcoin as a technology that can bring this era, this age of amity. So that's why we named the company Amity Age. Bitcoin bring the age of amity, mm -hmm. age of cooperation and friendship. And, okay. uh, and, and then we wanted to create um a character that will be leading people on this journey so we 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 did some some playful thing and we created amity nakamoto the granddaughter of satoshi mm -hmm. so the young uh girl the japanese looking girl that we have in our logo she is amity nakamoto the granddaughter of satoshi and she's the young blood bringing this age of amity bringing this change helping bitcoin to scale since her grandfather already left you know, she's the one to do the work right now. So that's she's so cool. the one leading people on this education journey. Uh, that's always and, and and how is she doing the education journey in Roatan? <laughs> <laughs> she's she, she's doing good. She's she's uh, <laughs> turning one year tomorrow. Uh, we're gonna have a wow. one year anniversary of, of Congra Amity congratulations. Academy. Thank you. Okay, Amity is already three years old. Uh, oh. We set up the company about three years ago. But the MIT, uh, MIT Age Academy, the Bitcoin Central in Roatan, it's going to be one year tomorrow. We have an anniversary party. And um, what do we do? We're teaching kids. Right now, actually, I came to this podcast immediately after a Bitcoin diploma class that I'm doing here on Roatan. Uh, so this is the fourth graduation that we're going to do. Fourth, wow. Um, Tournos of, of, uh, of kids. Yeah. So we do that. We, we teach Bitcoin diploma. That will be in El Salvador. Um, we do our own curriculums as well, you know, doing self-custody workshops, lightning workshops, uh, Bitcoin meetups. Uh, people can come to our Bitcoin Academy basically anytime. And uh, if, if we are there, you know, we can sit with them, set up wallets, explain basics. We have Bitcoin ATM. People can buy and sell Bitcoin uh, in our Academy. Uh, we are running our own node, showing people what it is, how it works, running our own BTC Pay server, POS. Um, having a library. Actually, right now, we're going to have a pretty cool thing. I don't know if you heard about Chain Duel. 
You know that game? Chain uh, No, it doesn't sound to me. What is it? It was in adopting Bitcoin also in Lugano. It's a it's a game that's based on the iconic snake game, you know, when when you when you have two snakes competing to each other, like growing mm-hmm. larger, you know, your uh, yeah, 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 yeah. game. Mm-hmm. And it's it's based on sets as well. So you you need to uh, top up with sets. You decide, for example, ten thousand sets is the minimum. So both players uh, drop in sets. They compete, and whoever wins can redeem over LNU URL, can redeem uh, the sets back. And you can have oh, a tournament. So cool. Oh man, check it check it out. Like Francis and and Pablo, they are the founders of that. You you type on Twitter change well, and the okay. game is amazing. So we're gonna have it here on the anniversary, and hopefully. People coming to, to the academy can play it as well every day uh, because this way games bring people together. And with this one, when people want to play, they can set up a wallet because the only way only way you can play is really with satoshis. And uh, and there is like this monetary component out of it where you you're uh, you know uh, there's some adrenaline. So I won a tournament in in adopting Bitcoin, which was very unexpected. I was uh, against Roxy. Is a mm-hmm. French Bitcoin educator. He is really great in this game, and I really luckily, surprisingly, won. Sure. So the, the top up, the top up was uh, the, the buy in was fifty thousand sets, which is like eighteen dollars, and uh, and I managed to win like two hundred seventy dollars in the end. Wow! Wow! That's yeah, so cool. Pretty. Yeah, seven hundred sixty thousand sets was the was the price. Wow, I want to play that game. Pretty sick. <laughs> Pretty sick. Yeah, I totally I'll definitely check it out. Uh, I'm gonna check yeah, it out. check it out. Chain Duel. I I love that. I'm I'm big fan. Big fan. That's that's a cool. So we're gonna have that thing. Uh-huh. No, right. and and yeah, so we do. We already educated about two hundred uh, two thousand five hundred people here in Honduras, Roatan, and mainland. We mm-hmm. set up uh, about sixty businesses into Bitcoin. And uh, and already are accepting here on the island. You know, you can have a tattoo for Bitcoin, coffee, drinks, rent a car, rent a house, and we're that's still cool. working on having a, a gas station and a and a groceries. That's that's the big thing because the big chains. It's very hard to onboard them. You know. Absolutely. Tell tell me about it. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I'm so glad that you know that that you're doing that, and uh, other countries besides the Salvador are doing it. I know that Mexico also doing it, some efforts, and now that I hear about uh, Honduras as well with MTH, it, it's amazing. That's the, how we do little by little, step by step, but dedication. It's uh, it never stops. So that's amazing. Talking about games, yeah. uh, do you know that I have a trivia? So let's do the trivia. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> People know how, how it works. I already explained to you. So there are two questions. Uh, one about general culture, one about Salvador, and one about Bitcoin. So the first question is about... Uh... Hey, Juan here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Just a quick break. This podcast is possible thanks to my partners, and I'm very picky with who I work with. So let's talk about them. First, Blockstream. Blockstream, the forefront of Bitcoin innovation, has something special for you. Get ready to supercharge your Bitcoin experience with a 10% discount on their incredible products and services. Whether you are into secure Bitcoin wallets, advanced mining solutions, or seamless satellite network access, Blockstream delivers excellency. And here's the kicker. Just use promo code BITCORNERPODCAST, all capitals, all together, when you check out and you instantly get 10% off. Don't wait, head over to Blockstream.com now to grab this exclusive Bitcoin boosting deal. Blockstream, 
pioneering the future of Bitcoin and it's just a discount cutaway. Enjoy your Bitcoin journey with Blockstream. Now let's talk about BitBlockBoom. I know you are all about Bitcoin and so am I. That's why I'm excited to partner with BitBlockBoom, the top Bitcoin conference. Join me and other Bitcoin enthusiasts to deep dive into the future of Bitcoin. Plus, use promo code BitConnorHODL for an exclusive 10% discount on your tickets. Reserve your spot now at BitBlockBoom.com and I'll see you there. Introducing the Bitbox O2 Bitcoin Only Edition, your ultimate Bitcoin wallet. With a laser focus on security, this wallet is designed for one thing only, Bitcoin. Its limited framework means fewer vulnerabilities providing you with top-notch protection. The secure chips ensure that this wallet will always be Bitcoin only, no resets, no other coins. It's a commitment to your Bitcoin security. Unlock the full potential of your Bitcoin with the Bitbox O2. Join the Bitcoin revolution with the best in security and innovation. It says, uh, I'm going to give you the question and four options. That's how it works. Okay. Okay. So what is the main function as what? Yeah, I will like, like, let's try without options. Maybe hopefully I can make it without options. Let's see. Okay. Okay. But, uh, Give some space for the audience, like three seconds, <laughs> so they can. Okay, guess. okay, okay, got it. Okay, so what is the main function of a node in the Bitcoin network? Okay, you can answer. <laughs> I can say okay. Yeah, so the main function of a node is to verify transactions to make sure that transaction is not uh, pushed further without it being correct. Um, so and and also nodes help to decentralize the network. The modes, the, the more nodes we have, the more robust the network is. Yeah, absolutely, that's right. <laughs> uh, question number two. Okay, let's see how how well you know your neighbors. <laughs> okay, which monument in San Salvador is considered a national symbol uh, and depicts Christ on a globe mounted on a pedestal? So what is the name of the monument? Yeah. Uh, is it El Salvador del Mundo? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> wow, amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right, yeah. And actually, right now, I'm... they have made some changes. So it's quite super good, super well. Okay, yeah. okay, interesting. Yeah, yes, I, I, I haven't been there. I haven't been there. Uh, because whenever I go to Salvador, I just just for the conference, very quick trip. So uh, hopefully next year I will have more times to to go and enjoy the volcanoes, tukusas, and and all of all of the beauties. Yeah, you should, you should. It, it's amazing. There are some good changes right now. <laughs> okay. Excellent. And the last question uh, is about general culture, and is uh, which city, which city? is known as the city of skyscrapers and is famous for the Statue of Liberty. Of course, New York. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Amazing, <laughs> three out of three. Three out of I three. Was, I was thinking like it's a city in El Salvador. I'm like, in El Salvador, where are the Statue of Liberty and, and uh, skyscrapers? And I'm like, okay, it's global. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, I'm going to I'm going to to shout out uh, Max Kaiser because he was doing uh, in the adopting the kind of comparison with the Statue of Liberty because uh, 
it just happened that we had uh, Miss Universe and uh, Isabella that is representing us. Uh, she made this uh, appearance with a volcano that it's... Uh, oh, yeah. Pardon? Yeah, and Max Keiser said that the next Statue of Liberty symbol will be volcanoes. And actually, she made that, so now, now is the new Statue of Liberty in El Salvador. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I, I saw the picture today in the morning, and the dress was pretty sick. I know last year there was yeah. like the, the Bitcoin dress. Yeah. Or, or yeah. I think yeah, yeah. last year. Yeah. And this one with the with the volcano, that's like whoa, that's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing, man. That's amazing. Wow, three out of three. The the only person that got three out of three in, in the show was Jeff Woods. So you are in tie with Jeff Woods. Woo! Nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> in the end, at the end of the season, we're going to do. Uh, this table with all the points guys and we will see who wins <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> and for ones that are the ones that are tied maybe we could do a quick game <laughs> in the end <laughs> so you probably will Good. do it with jeff Wood. <laughs> nice or we do the chain duel together oh uh, yeah that, yeah yeah <laughs> Th that would be a good way to to break the tie <laughs> actually i was speaking yesterday with the, with the guys because they are helping me to set it up here Mm -hmm. And they was like, okay, their vision or like one of the things they want to do, like arbitration with a chain duel. So if you have like a case that you want to decide, like, okay, you're going to play in chain duel and whoever wins receive the sets and like the, the, the deal is, is, is decided, you know, <laughs> so that would be pretty cool. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Going back with Amiti, your goal of educating 100 million people. That's a lot. <laughs> and it's super impressive. You want to do that by 2030. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, what do you consider that are the main challenges Challenges that have you counter or that you think you will find doing this mission? Because it's it's quite important. Eh? Yeah, I mean, um, I kind of rely on exponential function. So hopefully the, the first like the first years will be slow and the, the last one should be fast, hopefully. Um, what I see as a, as a main component of this is that we don't want to do it alone. We want to have, like, there's already amazing number of Bitcoin education resources that we use in our day-to-day -day classes. So just reinventing the wheel doesn't make sense, I think. Mm -hmm. And what we want to focus on, as I said, is more the educate the educators thing. And this is something that nobody is doing yet. We're building a curriculum around it, and uh, already next year in January, I should have a uh, like a pilot versions of this academy in Salvador for two days, and also in Paraguay for two days. And then later on, we want to uh, maybe by the time we want to start the online version as well, like an online course. So basically, the handling of the objection will be one part of the online course, right? And later, maybe in April. We will see. We want to do the first kind of very intense educators academy here in Rwantan, and it will be for five to seven days, very deep, very robust. A lot of feedback, a lot of public speaking, um, networking building. Like it, it will be very, very intense. Mm -hmm. And this way, we want to kind of get more educators, as I said, um, on board each. Participants, we want to have them from a different country. So, and this way, if we help more educators to get on their track and educate their local communities, that's where I believe like we can 
together get to this number. Um, and we developed like a, a interesting um, system of how people can track how many people they educated or like welcome because this is also um, hard to track. Because what does it mean if a person is educated about Bitcoin? There's no end. Like the rabbit hole continues. Yeah. So we want the goal for us, we reframe the vision a little bit. And the goal for us is to welcome 100 million people in the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Because if you welcome a person in the rabbit hole and they can explore later on, we all of, all of us are already in the rabbit hole. So we can welcome them from, from the inside. Like, guys, come in. It's nice here. We can take you by hand and walk you through the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, but, and it's never ending. We're still exploring. We're still going deeper and deeper. Um, but just giving the person the spark to learn about Bitcoin, then they can, then they can find their own resources, whatever they, they like. Is it podcast? Is it video? Is it a book or, or an article? Because yeah. we're, even me, I, I cannot consider myself like fully educated about Bitcoin. There's still something that I find is new for me. So having 100 million people educated about Bitcoin, I don't think it's possible and it's even measurable. But welcoming 100 million people in the Bitcoin rabbit hole, that's something measurable because somebody can say if the person, if, if he himself is already in the rabbit hole or not yet. If you're already reading everything you can, you can consider yourself in the rabbit hole. And this yeah. is much easier to measure, to distinguish. And uh, so this is kind of what we reframed a little bit for us. So that should be a little bit easier to measure and, uh, and to do it in a way that educators that went through our program can can track it in a way and somehow we can we can get to a number hopefully by 2030 we will see hopefully yeah man that that's uh i love uh big challenges and this is a good challenge so hopefully uh you will get it i'm sure that you will get it so so yeah man congratulations and uh thank you yeah i i want to see i want to see that in six years yeah, man, it's, it's so, it's just around the corner, damn it. <laughs> yeah, nah, but, but it will be, it will be, I know that the the years will pass fast, but in the meanwhile, you will have time to, to do so, so, so yeah. Yeah. Another, sure. another, another thing that I want to ask you, Nat, is that, you know, you have been, uh, like me, in both places in Latin America and in, in Europe, so maybe you have a, a bigger perspective uh, about, uh, you know, maybe to perceive the difference in uh, in the Bitcoin adoption relations. So what have you noticed mm -hmm. uh, the, the difference in both regions? Um, I think the biggest difference is that in Europe, people are asking why Bitcoin? Why to have that? They just perceive it as another payment rate. Um, they don't see all the benefits that it brings in countries where we don't have, um, where not people many have a bank account or there's not so many branches of the banks. In Slovakia, there are so many banks, they give you cards and accounts and, and it's easy to do banking, right? So you have SEPA, you have like zero fees in Europe uh, for transferring money. So people are like, well, Bitcoin maybe for speculation, maybe like a diversification of my investment portfolio. But once you go to Honduras or Central America or Salvador, uh, you start to realize, okay, the Bitcoin is serving a different purpose. It's really doing its thing. It's saving countries 
where the economy is failing, it's saving fees for remittances, for paying regular stuff. People don't need to travel two hours somewhere to pay something in cash. And this is what motivates me. I, I would really love to mostly help in countries where there are high inflation rates, where the economy is not doing well, because I believe that, that are, these are the places where the Bitcoin as a tool serves the most. Yeah. And, uh, and this is the biggest difference that I see. You know, people here are asking not why, but how. They look into Salvador, they see that it works, they see that people are talking about it, using it. And people in Honduras here, they're very excited about Bitcoin. Like, they want to learn more. Some of them got scammed before because there used to be some crypto scams, some Ponzi schemes. So some of them are already very careful and not trusting, which I respect, you know, that. The level of financial literacy worldwide is, is very low. So once somebody falls into some scam, they think that that's all Bitcoin, right? Yeah. So it's kind of hard to um, get the person on board again. But the others who haven't been scammed, they're like, Sam, yeah, I want to learn about it. Like, tell me, where can I come? What can I do? Where can I learn? Where can I buy it? And uh, and yeah, so, uh, so th this would be the main difference that I observed. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that uh, you know in the in the global south we have the bas basically some common uh, challenges in, in economy hyperinflation uh, corruption in terms of politics both Salvador not right now is in the process of cleaning all of that uh, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah I think. Uh, I, I I don't know it's like we, we have some things common and yeah I have perceived also uh that here in europe uh, actually the kind of the same perception because when when my friends uh they're europeans uh, we talk about bitcoin but they tell me like how to invest in that and, and i feel like michael sailor when he started like <laughs> you do this like a star over yeah i know i know what you mean i know what you mean <laughs> Yeah, and you know, right now I'm teaching kids here in Rotan and on the first class, you know, I was asking them, we, are, we did a round of introduction and I asked them, you know, what what they would like to get from these lessons, like what's something about Bitcoin or money they would like to learn. Some yeah. of them said like they would like to learn how to save money, which I was like, excellent, that's amazing to hear. Yeah. But a lot of said like they, they want to learn how to, how to, you know, make money on Bitcoin, how to get rich on it. Mm -hmm. I'm like... <laughs> yeah, absolutely the, the same re reaction and um so no but over time like over the classes as we go through they understand like bitcoin is not the way how to get rich quick it's way how to not get poor slowly and they are getting it they are getting it and uh, um but they need time to really grasp it because from mass media you only get these like crypto bros earning money uh, yeah. That's what they see on TikToks. That's what they see on on Instagrams. So it's it's hard to kind of compete with it uh, when you want to install to them low time preference. Yeah, and they are every day they are basically bombarded with high time preference shit on TikToks, mm -hmm. on Instagrams. Um, you know, so in a one in a one or two hours a day, um, it's very hard to compete with eight hours or their of their life of their kind of upbringing and, and their habits. So, you know, it's, this is the tough one. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I've, I hope that by 
uh, seeing the changes in in El Salvador, but you know people uh, know what they see on on TV or whatever. But uh, that actually Salvadorians that maybe go to travel to Honduras and because people always ask like, how is the country? And uh, they share the experience. So maybe in that way they, they can perceive that that the things have changed and in in some places some places that Bitcoin is already established. Um, mm -hmm. it, it have changed the the lifestyle of have uh, given you know the opportunity to uh, to people that you know like people that sail in the in the streets that they have their their small businesses that before they they couldn't afford to to grow their business or just to save right because they didn't have the right tools mm -hmm. they, they were they didn't have the bank services and now with bitcoin you have the the bank services without the bank yeah. that's that's amazing and hopefully uh, that's profound yeah hopefully that they can see that in in honduras and I, also i wanted to ask you about that that uh i don't, I don't know how much uh, have you heard in terms of the policymakers uh, they want to are they interested at least uh, of what el salvador is doing they want to implement it or have you heard nothing or a 50 /50. Well, I heard, <laughs> I heard a couple of things that are kind of contradicting. First of all, what is kind of true and the facts underlining is that uh, current government in Honduras is leaning left, is socialist oriented. They okay. start to have friendships with China. Uh, they they do this kind of weird stuff. They're very against um, capitalism. So. The, the, the place where we are in Prospera, this is the special jurisdiction of the Roatan. That's why we actually started here, mm -hmm. because there is a special jurisdiction which has Bitcoin as the as a yeah. uh, legal tender. You can pay your taxes in Bitcoin. Your Bitcoin is is not taxed on capital gains, and the whole jurisdiction is basically like a private city. So you are treated as mm -hmm. the customer, and that's how I think the government or like the, the city state should treat you because you come there, you work, you pay taxes, you should be treated as a customer. And uh, so, and it's very capitalist oriented. It's very pro freedom, pro private property, but Honduran government is not very friendly with Prospera. Although constitutionally Prospera has 50 years of freedom from the government uh, because it's constitutionally Correct, and everything is is uh, legal, but they don't like the socialists. They don't like somebody showing uh, to people that it can work much more efficiently for a lower cost uh, without corruption. And so this is what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's one side of the story. The other side of the story, what I heard, but I, I don't know, I didn't verify it. I don't know if it's true. I heard that Xiaomara, which is the, the president here, uh, she was kind of she's looking up to Bukele on the whole Bitcoin thing. And there were some um, some articles already or some, some words out there that she might adopt Bitcoin as well. But as far as I see, you know, and the all uh, the whole left leaning system, I don't I don't feel that um, they would like to do Bitcoin because it gives more people it gives more power to people, which basically yeah. is against the whole narrative of socialism. So uh, I'm I'm kind of less a believer in them adopting Bitcoin, um, but at least they don't stop it. They don't uh, illegalize it. 
So it's still legal, businesses can accept it, no problem, but it's not supported by the government in any way. Okay. And back home, how do you see? Oh, in Slovakia, well, Europe in general, it's not very friendly towards Bitcoin. You know, they're going against custodial, uh, let's say, self-custody wallets. Uh, they want to make sure they know where your Bitcoin is moving. And, mm. you know, it's, it's very against privacy. It goes against anonymity. And uh, the mining is being kind of pushed out as well. They, they are canceling in Germany the nuclear power plants. So no. Europe is doing weird stuff, uh, or European Union in general. So I don't see at this current um, time period that Bitcoin will be very well adopted in European countries. There are some exceptions, very yeah, small Lugano. exceptions, like maybe Lugano in Switzerland, of course. In Norway, there's some Bitcoin mining happening. But in general, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners are getting out of the country more to Central America or South America, because that's where the Bitcoin is really taking traction. And that's where you really feel more freedom. Okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I, actually, uh, it's, it's quite similar here uh, in Spain. They want to track you where your Bitcoin and so on. So, so yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, man, we're going to start wrap it up. So maybe I'm going to uh, ask you to, one or two more questions. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, uh, one of one of the main questions is that uh, what advice do you give to other educators? Basically, that's that's one question for me as well <laughs> that I want to hear. So uh, to uh, you already explained a bit uh, how to onboard. Uh, you know, like newbies and so on, but how to how we can improve our, our, our path or what can we do better? What what do you see that it's it's misleading or maybe that us the carriers we're not doing it that that we can maybe do better? I think the general advice would be focus more on like the interpol interpersonal part of education and being a better educator itself than uh the Bitcoin part because we are a lot of educators are great bitcoiners they can explain or they they can they understand the thing they're already sold into the into the vision and philosophy of bitcoin what i recommend people to practice more is um analogies and simplification because explaining bitcoin with complicated words doesn't help the newbies doesn't help the no pointers um i'm doing for myself um like some analogies that that worked on the classes, how I can explain mining, uh, how I explain I, how I can explain nodes and decentralization using analogies with trains, books, dice, um, papers, lottery tickets. So all these things that we somehow touched in our lives and we understand how it works, connect them to Bitcoin and like simplify and use analogies. That's one thing. And the other would be more understanding where the person comes from, what are the fears, what are the uh, the obstacles, the objections that we spoke about in the beginning. And, and this kind of framework of mindset of being patient, not needing to push Bitcoin into somebody's throat, but just being there, uh, creating content, educating and, and being receptive when people come. Um, that's, I think, much more valuable 
and uh, we can get more people in. So focusing on the grassroots, focusing on like bringing up the education from bottom up, um, that's definitely, I think, the way to go. And that's what's happening in El Salvador right now, because the initial push from top down, I wasn't a big fan of it. Um, luckily, it, it kind of worked that right now, Mid-Premier is leading the education there. Um, yeah. Bitcoiners coming in, helping out Berlin and Salvador is, you know, it's booming yeah. with Bitcoin businesses. So, so there are some pretty amazing initiatives, but initial, I was very skeptical of like, you know, all this Chivo boom, everybody needs to accept Bitcoin. Even though I'm a Bitcoin lover, you know, I don't want people to be forced to accept it. Yeah. So as educators, we should be kind of also pointing out to this, um, things that are not very good for general Bitcoin adoption. Um, we should be listening more, maybe talking less and, and, and kind of trying to get to the mindset of a, of a beginner again, because it's very hard. Once you're deep down the rabbit hole and you need to explain that thing for 1000th time, you start to lose patience. And this is, I think, what us as educators, we need more patience. There's going to be new and new people jumping in every price increase, new class of Bitcoiners falling for scams leaving their their coins on exchanges losing their private keys so we need to have a patience we need to kind of keep repeating the same thing and again and again and uh and become better communicators and listeners okay perfect i will i will take notes about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and last and last but not least uh anything that you want to add that i didn't uh ask you and you think that is important and where can people find you so um, we, people can reach me out on Twitter, uh, Dusan underscore Matuska or M-E-T-H. Um, they can reach out to us. I recommend everybody to come and visit Roatan. It's a beautiful place. It used to be one of the most famous pirate it islands. Is. And uh, there is still there are still probably two or three pirate treasures on the island from the 17th, 18th century that haven't been found yet. So people sometimes come here and, and try to search for them. Uh, there is a island that belonged to Henry Morgan, the guy on the Captain Morgan rum bottle. Okay. And uh, that island is here. The, the wall built by Henry Morgan is still here. So it's it has it really breathed the history and uh, the freedom uh, spirit on Roatan. The people are amazing. If you like to be around water or diving, it's a beautiful reef around here and we want to make it the bitcoin island of caribbean that's that's our goal here already 60 businesses are accepting so come to Rotan. for example in, in february 5th to 15th of february we're organizing a bitcoin experience tour which is a trip vacation for 12 bitcoiners um that want to come and uh, you know meet the community visit businesses have great vacation, be around water. Um, so we're right now filling up the spaces. So if somebody's interested, go can go to meth.com slash tours and you can you can subscribe, you can uh, book your book your spot. So that's a great way to explore Roatan. Perfect man. And I'll uh as usual I will add everything in the podcast notes so you can find it really quick, real super easy. <laughs> and super. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your experience in, in Honduras. And 
I wish you the best of luck in your challenge. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good <laughs> one. So hopefully I will have you um, in the, in near futures. And so you can tell me more about it. <laughs> I would love to. Thank you, Juan. Thank you, man. And guys, see you on the next one. Ciao.